the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. God forbid that we miss the message of Christmas as we celebrate the Advent. God forbid that we miss the message of the Incarnation and the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's read Matthew chapter 1 from verses 18 to the end of the chapter. This is the reading of God's Word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and she called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Yes, Lord, I thank you that your name is Jesus for you have come to save your people from their sin. Lord, this is what we celebrate, not only today, but every day of our lives, the gospel. We celebrate you and all that you've done on behalf of your people. Lord, now as we worship with our ears, I pray that you would be glorified. And as we worship with our lives, returning to families and friends, as we have opportunities with different people during this holiday season, Lord, give us boldness. Lord, give us boldness to proclaim your name, to proclaim the gospel that you've come to save from sin. Lord, be honored and glorified now as we open your word and your word opens us. We thank you for our time. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've just heard from angelic lips, from the mouth of the angel Gabriel himself, Matthew 1, 21, A child will be born, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Mary will bring forth a son. And you, Joseph, will call his name Jesus. The name Jesus is the Hellenized version of the Hebrew name Joshua, Yehoshua, which translated means Yahweh saves, God saves, or Yahweh is salvation. And so... You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, man's greatest need is to be saved from their sin. And thus, the greatest gift that fallen sinful man can be given, and has ever been given, is the gift of salvation. The gift of deliverance from sin, for the wages of sin death but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the message of the manger is redemption, the forgiveness of sins, salvation from the wrath of a holy God, deliverance from sin and sinfulness. Friends, Jesus was sent and came into the world through a virgin's womb, born in a barn, in a stable, as it were. Have you ever been in a barn? The pungent stench of excrement, surrounded by barnyard animals. And then he was laid in a feeding trough, as it were. Beloved, the fallen world is a manger of sorts where the stench of wickedness and the excrement of sin are commonplace, this foul and fallen world. Were Jesus born in a palace, he still would have been born in a manger, for he came into this fallen manger of a world, into a world darkened by sin, inhabited by fallen, depraved man. And so the ignominy of his birth, the manger itself, illustrates the fact that the sinless, righteous Son of God was born and came into this fallen, dark world. Why? In order to save his people from their sins. Born in a manger so that we might be born again. Born in a manger so that we might be born of God. Born from above. Born that man no more may die. And we sing, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And so the ignominy of his birth, just as the ignominy of his death, namely by crucifixion, demonstrates the fact that the sinless, righteous son of God came into a fallen world. Don't miss the message of the Advent season. Don't miss the message of Christmas, the message of Christ himself. He is the greatest gift that has ever been given to an undeserved world, to undeserving sinners. He is God's gift to fallen man for our greatest need, friends, as sinners is to be saved. And He is the Savior. This is good news. This is great news. This is the greatest of news. But the goodness of the good news will only and can only properly be understood when set against a full understanding of the bad news. Friends, the magnificence of our salvation will only be properly appreciated and esteemed when we understand the catastrophic extent of our sin, our fallenness, our depravity. It's just that simple. Apart from this approach, we will not understand the gospel. Tidings of good news and salvation. Apart from a biblical understanding, friends, of the bad news, we will not understand Christianity. We will not understand the message of Christ, his work, his person. We will not understand or appreciate the incarnation, his death or resurrection. And we will certainly not understand Christmas the way Jesus wants us to understand Christmas. And so this year, as every year, we celebrate the Advent or Christmas according to Christ. And so my sermon this afternoon is titled, and you can see it there in the program, Sin and the Christmas Season, the Gift of God.
sin and the Christmas season. Beloved, again, the goodness of the good news will only be understood appropriately when it is set against a full and biblical understanding of the bad news. Years ago, a man named Mike Wallace, he works for 60 Minutes, he did a story about a man, his name is Adolf Eichmann. Adolf Eichmann was one of the chief architects of the Holocaust. Eichmann, because of his organizational and administrative talents, was responsible for coordinating and managing the mass deportation of Jews to extermination camps in German-occupied Eastern Europe. Mike Wallace interviewed a Jewish Holocaust survivor by the name of Yahel Denur. And during the interview, Wallace showed Denur actual footage from the Nuremberg trials where Denur himself came in to testify against Adolf Eichmann. And the footage showed Denur walking into the courtroom past where Eichmann was seated. And then Denur turned to look at Eichmann. And suddenly, Denur begins to weep. His weeping turns into this uncontrollable sob. And finally, Denur falls to the ground in a dead faint. And Wallace, interviewing Denur, says, Why? Why? Were you overcome by hatred? Were you overcome by fear? Was it the horrid memories? It was none of these, Denur explained. Rather, it was all at once that he realized that Adolf Eichmann was not the godlike army officer that had sent so many to their death. This Eichmann, he could see, was an ordinary man. Quote, I was afraid about myself, said Denor. I saw that I am capable to do this, that I am exactly like him. Wallace's summation of Denor's terrible discovery. Eichmann is in all of us. Eichmann is in all of us. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. And friends, that is exactly what human reason, a la Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes, teach us. The word of God is explicit, beloved. Solomon the wise wrote this, Truly, the hearts of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the death. Ecclesiastes 9.3 The Apostle Paul writes, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Beloved, the world stands guilty before a holy God. There is none righteous, Paul quoting the psalm. None seek after God. We have all turned aside. Together we have become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. We are by nature children of wrath, dead spiritually in our transgression and sin. This is the universal plight and the hopeless state of fallen humanity. And God, in His goodness, because He is just, and because He is holy, He will punish sinners. For as sinners, we've sinned against, friends, we've sinned against God. We have fallen away and turned away from Him. And because He is Creator and Lord, all of the creation ought to bow and worship and adore its loving Creator. It's only right to do so. But sin, you see, refuses to bow. 
Sinners refuse to worship and adore their creator and sovereign. In fact, sinners have decided that they will be Lord in their own life. They will be their own God, deciding upon what's true and false, how they will live their life, why they were created, determining their own purposes and designs. They have forsaken, you see, the true and living God. Friends, when looking at the architect of the Holocaust in the face, the man who paved the way for the slaughter of millions upon millions of Jews, Denor said, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this, that I am exactly like him. Non-Christian, Eichmann is in all of us. And justice and holiness and all that's good and right demand that all such sinners be punished. You see, sinful man needs a savior. Someone to save us from sin and from the condemnation and wrath of a holy God. And since we are dead in sins, we are blind to our sin. We are incapable of saving ourselves. We cannot justify ourselves before God. Salvation is not, not, not of works lest anyone should boast. It must be gifted to you. It must be given. Friends, we are all at the mercy of God before whom we all stand guilty as charged. Hear then, hear then the goodness of the good news. God who is rich in mercy in the overflow of his infinite love and grace, so loved the world that he sent his son, who according to Matthew one twenty one, as we just read, and as his name teaches, came to save his people from their sin. So reads the words of the living God, a gift from God himself, the greatest gift, that meets our greatest need, an undeserved gift. And friends, when you get a, a gift that you do not deserve, friends, it humbles you, does it not? When and if you accept the gift, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you must recognize, confess and repent of your sins. You must recognize and confess your need for the Savior. You must recognize and turn to and place your full trust in Jesus Christ who came to save his people, you, from your sin. And it is Jesus, friends, who is qualified to save sinners. For he is the Son of God. Friends, he is God. He is the true and living God, true light from true light true God of true God. He is righteous. He is holy. He is sinless and pure. Only God, friends, is powerful enough. Only God is potent enough to save sinful man. Jesus Christ, friends, is fully God and thus fully qualified and fully capable to save sinners to the utmost, which is why we read in the scriptures that he is Emmanuel, translated God with us. He is God. But you see, the Bible also clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is incarnate, that he is born of a virgin, namely born of woman. 
He took on a fully human nature. And yet Jesus Christ was without sin. He is truly God, hear it, and truly man. He is the God-man, representing humanity and deity in indivisible oneness. Just as we read in Matthew. And so as truly man, he can stand in our place. And as truly God, his infinite life is such that any and all who come to him by faith, trusting fully in him, forsaking sin and self, he will save. Friends, that's why he came. He came to save his people from their sin. And as the God-man, he is the only mediator between God and man. The only name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. No one comes to the Father, Jesus says in John 14, but by me. Jesus declared, I am the truth. I am the life and the way. Jesus claimed exclusivity. I am the truth. I am life and the only way. Friends, Christmas is about Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. But again, the goodness of that news, the goodness of that gift will only be understood when set against a proper understanding of the bad news. And there's more bad news. Now hear the bad news. The title of my sermon again is Sin and the Christmas Season. Here's more bad news for you this season. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, the God-man and Savior. Here it is. It's the worst of news. He was crucified. The sinless, righteous Son of God was crucified. Though He had done no wrong, He was delivered over to death, execution style. But you see, it was God the Father's will and His own will, the will of Christ Himself. He laid down His life. The Bible teaches us that God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, Romans 8, 32. And Jesus himself said, John 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I have authority to do so. And friends, that's bad news. Inasmuch as by his horrific crucifixion, God was painting a picture for the watching world demonstrating to sinners and to us that the wages of sin death bad news because we see clearly at Calvary's cross in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ we see clearly that God hates sin so much so that he crucifies his own son why to deal with sin to pay for sin to put it away terrifying because Eichmann friends is in all of us sin is in each and every one of us and so God took him who knew no sin to be sin for us and there at Calvary's cross God took Jesus who knew no sin who was righteous and holy to be sin for all who would trust in him 
Jesus Christ saves his people from their sin by standing in their place as a substitute, as a sacrifice for sin. And so God crucified Eichmann for the wages of sin, death. And there in the terror of Calvary's cross, the dread supreme, the fullness of God's wrath against sin is on display in the crucified and that is bad news. There at Golgotha, we come face to face with the horror of our sin. Behold the man upon a cross. We sang, my sin upon his shoulders. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. But there at Calvary's cross, as we see and understand the catastrophic extent of our fallenness, our depravity in our sin, the Eichmann in all of us, as we understand that reality, it is there at Calvary's cross, in the twinkling of an eye, as it were, that we, by the work of the Spirit, when we look with eyes of faith, we see Jesus saves his people from their sin by taking upon himself the penalty of their sin and absorbing in himself on their behalf the wrath of God. Non-Christian. Non-Christian. When you repent of sin, recognize the horror of it and trust in Christ his person, his work, his word. That he came to save sinners by dying on their behalf. Friend, it is then that the goodness of the good news will come flooding in. And you will sing believingly on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. On him was laid. And having died on behalf of all who would trust in him, friends, he rose from the grave to demonstrate that God accepted his sacrifice. He rose from the grave to demonstrate that he is eternal life. Death could not hold infinite God. His love was stronger than death. And so he rose from the grave for our salvation and for our justification. And just as he lives now, so will we live. Just as we look to him for forgiveness of sin, we also look to him who died and rose for eternal and everlasting life, never to die again, eternally grateful then, so that in the endless ages of God's heavenly kingdom, we will sing our hallelujahs to God for so great a salvation, for so great a savior. All of that, all of that for undeserved sinners. The free gift of God. Salvation for needy sinners in Christ the Savior. The gift humbles us. We have done nothing to deserve Him. We have nothing in us to merit so great a salvation. And that's why we Christians call it grace. We call it amazing grace I would like to address the Christians specifically as we come to a close friends the gospel of our salvation in Christ 
what we call the doctrines of grace. The gospel defines and controls our Christianity. It is as John Newton wrote, and we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And so it is the grace of God that saves us. We know this, by grace you have been saved. But Newton goes on to write in that hymn, "'Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Do you see that it's by God's grace that we will continue in this salvation so that the gospel is what makes us and what keeps us. It is what saves us and it sanctifies us. The gospel justifies us and it will bring us to final glory. Grace, Newton writes, will lead me home. Sadly, though, sadly, though, most professing evangelical Christians, conservative or not, have allowed a works-based, merit-based system of salvation to slip back into their thinking and control, even define their Christianity. But if Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, friends, is the ground of our salvation, and they are, If his righteousness has become our righteousness in our union with Jesus Christ, then there is nothing, I repeat, nothing we can do to add or subtract from the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is ours. It dependeth not on performance. Our salvation and sanctification come when we believe, you see, when we look into the face of Christ and are being changed from glory to glory. When we trust fully in Christ and His righteousness, the righteousness that saves, friends, is the righteousness of Christ, not your righteousness, not our righteousness. Christ and His righteousness alone, He triumphed over death and sin. He tasted the condemnation of the law for me and there is nothing and no possibility that God would ever 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 reverse that verdict any more than he would push his son out of heaven you cannot fall into and out of salvation any more than the death and resurrection of Jesus are reversible no it is accomplished you see it is finished Beloved, God has pronounced his final judgment upon us in Jesus Christ, saved, justified. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so the assurance of our salvation is not performance-based. It does not depend on performance, but upon Jesus Christ. He is our surety. I may be the newest believer in this room, I may be the poorest believer in this room. I may be the believer in this room with the smallest faith, but that small faith will get me the same Jesus Christ. Mother Teresa was an Orthodox Roman Catholic. Orthodox historic Roman Catholicism has denied 
and even anathematized, which is to say cursed, the doctrines of God's grace, the gospel of God's salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Orthodox Roman Catholicism teaches works righteousness, a salvation that depends upon performance. Rome teaches that we are justified, this is what they teach, according to the Council of Trent, Rome teaches that we are justified at baptism and what we do for the rest of our life is ferment the grace we received at baptism until we are in fact righteous people. And when we attain to that status, God might say of us, this person is justified in my sight. There was a book that was published in 2009, a compilation of Mother Teresa's letters. Letters she wrote to her spiritual counselor in the earlier part of her life. And to the shock of many, Mother Teresa went through years of darkness. No sense of God. No sense of his presence, of his salvation for years and years and years. And many who reviewed this book, they began to ask, how is it that such a good woman could have experienced so much darkness. Wasn't she doing the will of God? Wasn't she showing God's love? They say, well, she was such a good woman. But you see, that's the problem. God doesn't save anyone because they're good. God only saves sinners. And he has never saved anyone else. Never, ever, ever in the history of the universe has God saved a good person because of his goodness. He only saves sinners. And poor Mother Teresa lived in a system, a church where no one was able to help her. To say to her, poor mother, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you just trust in the Lord Jesus and what he has done, there is nothing to be added to that. Nothing. He loves you. He gave his son for you. You don't need to add anything to what the Lord Jesus has already done. You need to only trust in him. I wish I had five minutes with Mother Teresa. I would have said to her, Mother Teresa, I know that you are one of the most extraordinary women who has ever walked the face of this earth. But I am here to tell you that if you trust in Christ alone, he clothes you with his righteousness, with his perfect righteousness. And you can do nothing to add or subtract from it. We are saved utterly and absolutely by him and him alone. And so it's no wonder she struggled with spiritual darkness. She had subjected herself to a false gospel, a system that teaches sinners that they are justified by their good works before God. But friends, that is not the message of Jesus Christ. That is not why he came. He came and he alone, he came, to, he came to save his people from their sins. 
because they could not and would not save themselves. Ours is but to receive the free gift of God, the free grace of God in Christ. That is the message of God. That is the message of our salvation. That is the message of the Bible. That's the message of the manger. He came to save sinners from their sins. That is what the Advent is about. It's about Christ and the gospel of our salvation. That's what Christmas is about and that's what life is about. Non-Christian, I exhort you to come to Christ today. Non-Christian, I exhort you to recognize the coming of your Savior. Repent and believe. This is not something that you simply show up to hear at church, but it's something that changes your life. My mom and dad are here. I didn't grow up a Christian. They didn't raise me as a Christian. Ask them. Changed my This is not some kind of doctrinal thing that's out there in theological la-la land that doesn't have any practical implications for our lives. When I became a Christian and came to Christ, everything changed in my life. Everything. How I live my life. How I love in my life. How I honor my mom and dad. How I love my spouse, my wife how I love my brothers and sisters in the world, how I work and live, how I eat, how I sleep, how I spend money, how I do everything to the glory of God and Him alone. And so too with you today. These doctrines are absolutely practical. And as we say often in this church, what we hear with the ear goes into our heart and goes out through our lives. The gospel of our salvation has changed it all for us. And so, non-Christian, I exhort you, not on the basis of change, but on the basis of your need to come to Christ to do so. Let's pray together before we sing. Lord, we are grateful for Jesus, your Son a gift that many of us in this room have received and many are yet to receive. And some will see and hear and walk away from the gift. Oh God, I pray that the seed would sink into their heart and even while they walk away, that the gospel would echo in their souls and that you would have mercy on them as you have had on us. Bring them to your Son, Jesus Christ. Bring them to the salvation that you foreordained before the foundation of the earth. Have mercy, we pray in Jesus' name.